0: Smile again All right, welcome back, KBLA. This is KBLA Talk 1580 and I'm your host, Angelique Francis and this is Living in the Sweet Spot. As you know, if you're a a regular listener, you know that we define the sweet spot as the intersection between power, divine timing, and performance, all to accomplish a purpose. I'm bringing you conversations with amazing overcomers. We talk about miraculous moments. We talk about kairos moments. That's a God thing, y'all, in case you don't know. So if you are just joining us, my guests share their very, very personal stories about surviving and thriving. Traumas and triumphs and where they are today and what tomorrow might look like so you may or may not know in addition that beloved entertainment my production company we produce impact media and we offer certified coaching and therapeutic drama transformation workshops partnerships with some of the best coaches in the business and we are now available on set intimacy coaching for television film and theater so you can protect the integrity of the set the cast and the stories that you are creating. Reach us at BelovedEntertainment.com. That's B period L O V E D Entertainment com. Okay, well, I'm excited to have my friend and now colleague um, in the sweet spot. So we're going to talk about a raw and powerful memoir about how resilience and hope and defiant faith can lead to powerful transformations even in the midst of the darkest of hours. My guest today in the sweet spot is now author, media executive, and mother, Michelle DeHort, who has suffered loss at almost every major phase in her life, the most devastating being the murder of her beloved daughter, Gabrielle, at the hands of her ex-husband. Yet, through it all, there was this voice inside of her that keeps insisting that she must let that light shine that's inside of her, that let that light shine through the holes in her heart. And with beautiful prose and spiritual insight, she has written, and she has also been the voice in the Audible uh, collection, The Other Side of Yet, The Other Side of Yet, Finding Light in the Midst of the Darkness. So, she, let me tell you, <laughs> this is going to be a book that if you've experienced anything, any heartbreaks, trauma, losses, on any level, she brings a compassionate blueprint to you on how to harness your inner strength. And Michelle shares how she pivots to a yet af- and starts to rebuild a new after. Welcome, welcome, Michelle Horde to the sweet spot.
1: Thank you so much. And I have to say... the, the Baptist granddaughter in me from the Baptist minister, I was about to throw my shoe at your theme song, so I'm already in it. I'm well,
0: all, all, all in. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Well, uh, I have to always give a shout-out to my co-writers, Mark Kibble of Take Six, who does lots of the arranging of that group and 10-time Grammy win- winner. So this is your entree. <laughs> I wanted to make sure you felt uh, welcome in the sweet spot. Well... Michelle, we got a lot to talk about. And um, thank you first for being here and being willing to be your authentic self and to come and not just share your story, although painful, but you're going to teach us and talk to us about surviving and then thriving. And so you are the perfect sweet spot guest, if I can say so myself. So let's just get in it. Um, The other side of yet. Hmm, What does... What does that even mean, the other side of yet?
1: Yes. So it comes from my personal story, which I know we'll talk about. But on a broader sense, um, we all have definitive moments in our lives where everything changes. That can be a divorce. That can be a job loss. Frankly, for all of us, it was COVID, right, where all of a sudden the world looks different and there's a definitive before where we know things will never be the same. And that's the moment when we can choose to say yet and to pivot, to think about future possibilities, um, starting with surviving and all the things that comes when you have to move away from any sort of grief or loss. Um, so that's, that's the the title. Mm-hmm. The origin is, the again, the Baptist preacher's Uh, granddaughter
0: you and I share that by the way
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes yes is is the verse in Job though he slay me yet do I trust him and I think we can all in different ways certainly not in the way Job did right but we all have those moments of this has happened yet I want to still hold on I want to still have faith I know God is still God
0: Yes, ma'am. And uh, you know what? we have gonna have so much to talk about, but I want to take a minute. so when we come forward we're gonna be back with uh, Michelle Horde, who is going to tell us how to get on the other side of yet. Now your dream has finally been born All right. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, my guest today in the Sweet Spot is media executive Michelle DeHord, who after suffering the loss of her child, it tells a raw and powerful memoir about how resilience and hope and defiant faith can lead us to a powerful transformation. So, this is a tough conversation even for me, Michelle, because I lived in your community and I was there around and Will you tell everyone what happened the first week of June in 2017? Yes.
1: Um, So by way of background, and I know this will be relatable to a lot of your audience, um, I went through a very messy divorce. And for those who have not been through divorce, um, you think you understand all the things that could possibly happen until you have. And I have certainly met a community of people who have been through divorce and watched partners who they thought they knew morph to different degrees. Um, and so I was in June of 2017 battling literally my then husband, uh, to get a divorce because it was important to me that my daughter, Gabrielle, was not exposed to any You know, anything toxic, frankly, anything negative. I had moved out of the house, and she would go between staying with her father in our family home and staying with me in a rental home. And so on June 5th, 2017, he finally agreed to the term. And I got this call, ran to my boss's office, and said, I have to get out of here before he changes his mind. You know, it had been that difficult. You know, literally, I'm driving... And Googling a notary in my neighborhood mm-hmm. So we could just move anywhere just to get it done
0: mm-hmm.
1: And I'll never forget my boss saying when I, when I said I've got to go, he's going to sign Saying, you know what, I feel like you're turning a corner Like this is going to be, a, this is going mm-hmm. to be something brand new for you Ooh. And I drove there, I'm in my business suit I think I literally swept through my suit Just getting to this place um, in New Rochelle, New York To sign We signed the papers, we kind of made weak jokes about how unceremonious this part of the process was, having had a beautiful wedding and and known each other for so long, and then as we were walking out, he said to me, I'm sorry for everything that's happened during this process, which was a relief, and I hugged him and said, listen, all that matters is that we both love our daughter, she's our number one priority, Mm -hmm. and that we co-parent, and I drove back to my rental place calling friends with this praise report, calling family, Mm -hmm. slept well for the first time in a lot of nights. Mm. The next morning I got up, I went to work. Gabrielle had spent the night with her father. The plan was for me to come and meet them after I got off of work to talk about next steps in the divorce process. I went to work. I was facilitating a seminar And about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, any mom, especially with young kids, your phone is like another arm, so the phone's always close. So I turned my head for two seconds and recognized that our caregiver had called. And when I called her back, she was hysterical. And it was clear that she had walked into a crime scene Mm. in my
0: home. My God.
1: And initially, frankly, I thought... My then-husband had probably killed himself. My daughter's at school. How will I explain this to her? How will I? And then over the next few minutes, the darkness started to seep in. Mm. And I realized I hadn't spoken to her that day. And I called a dear friend who uh, was a mom who didn't work outside of the home and said, Hey, did you see Gabrielle this morning at school? Mm. And she said no. Mm. And that, that was crushing. And I went... Um, the way a lot of our ancestors did and found a little dark closet and shut the door mm. and got on my knees and said, God, I do not know what I'm about to walk into, but whatever it is, please just give me the strength to bear it. And unfortunately, my then husband murdered our baby and lived um feigned a suicide attempt, but lived. And I drove up to this crime scene that had been my family home where we bought our first home, where my husband carried me over the threshold, where we brought our little baby home from the hospital scared like all new parents do, and somehow this space was now a crime scene.
0: Mm. Michelle, we... I don't have to tell you how sad and devastating this story is for all of us, those of us who have parented a child or ever loved anyone, especially a child. Your daughter's name is Gabrielle, and I know that you have done so much to to keep her memory alive and to honor her in so many amazing ways. So if ever I wanted to go to a commercial break, it would have been now, but (laughs) we won't. Um so there was a murder trial and uh I know that the result of that is that he's got 25 years to life or whatever. Okay. Let's talk about even your beginnings as a journalist. I'm really when I read your book and I, lo- I listened I read your book and I listened on Audible because when I realized that you had um produce an audible book, I was so relieved to want to hear not just um, your story from your lips, but also to know and hear in your voice that you were going to survive. That's what what I got out of that. I was like, she is a phoenix. (laughs) She is a survivor. And I was really, really grateful. So I know as a journalist, you came out of journalism school, and you started working at America's Top Most Wanted. And I was really struck, because you start your book talking about it, and I was really struck um, that you became, at 23 years old, the missing missing child coordinator or the victim survival something, right? Tell, Tell us about that, because I do think that there are strategically ordered steps, and I don't know how you could have gotten through this time in your life, had you not learned to have a certain amount of compassion, a certain amount of um, survival skills that you probably picked up along this journey. So how does that, why did you search a book there? Absolutely. Well, I started my book there because as a
1: journalist, especially someone who started at America's Most Wanted, which, you know, was started by John Walsh, who was the famous story of you know, really one of the first national kidnapping horror stories that America was aware of. I remember that. And he took, he took that story and created America's Most Wanted and a lot of other work. And so, as a young journalism student just looking for a job with benefits, <laughs> <laughs> I stumbled upon this job and realized it was not a job, it was really job-slash-calling-slash-social services, Right, right. right. Because when you show up on behalf of John Walsh, you're not the local newspaper. You're showing up on behalf of the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. Mm -hmm. You're showing up as counselor to parents Mm -hmm. who have not been through something that you've seen before. Mm -hmm. I remember very clearly in my early 20s being in rooms with parents whose children were on national magazines because they were missing and having a slew of cameras outside and the parents asking me who they should talk to. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was a very different experience um, than most journalists' experience. Sure. And and you know, I took a couple of things away. One, no one ever believes it can happen there. Yes. The common denominator was there are no like there are no words. This doesn't happen here.
0: It's sudden and it's unexpected. It it, no one could plan it's for unexpected. this. It's mm-hmm. unexpected. It's impossible to imagine. Mm-hmm.
1: And on the upside, what happens is from friends and family to complete strangers, people rally for mm-hmm. other people, and that at the end of the day, the human spirit wants to triumph. Mm-hmm. And so I would sit across from these mothers whose children have been abducted by strangers. I'm wondering how these folks have on clothes and are talking to me and are able to be on national television. And realizing that people they've never met are scouring woods for their baby. Mm -hmm. So it gave me at a really young age this exposure, not just the compassion, but one, exposure to darkness Mm. and what's possible. Which is why, frankly, when I drove up on a crime scene where I was the mother, I knew where I was arriving. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any misconceptions. Because I've shown up there. I've right. shown up and right. parked in front of police tape and ambulances mm. and seeing the people gathering who are gawkers and the people gathering who actually know and care.
0: Mm.
1: So I, I, I unfortunately knew what I was what I was walking into. Mm. But the other piece, which I think is so important, and really, I would say my book is a 20-80. Is a 20% is the hell I went through. Mm-hmm. 80% is the road to the
0: hallelujah. I would, I would agree with that. <laughs> yes, I think that's a good estimate. Um, you likened your journey to your healing, kind of like a shipwreck, right? And, and throughout, and you talk about choosing life. You say, if I can quote you, I hope I have the quote correct, I choose survival over drowning. I choose to navigate a new world with a set of constellations rather than going down with the ship of my old life. What does that mean? And again, I think this is applicable to so many of us, um,
1: that there are are intersections in life where we can give up, where we can give in, where we can give out, where we can say, I'm beaten, I can't do this, I can't survive, the odds are against me, how the hell am I going to get through this? And the yet was, all of this hell has happened. I can't change it. I can't explain it. I can't understand it yet. I know there is still a God,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I also know. And this is where the defiant faith came in. And there may have been a defiant F word that I won't say on the radio. <laughs> Thank you. Now I don't have to beat um, it out. <laughs> um, right. Yes, that, I, I'm in the communications field. I'm not going. I'm not going to get y'all <laughs> fired. Um, but there was a. This was not the person who I've known for 20 years. Right. Just like we believe there are good forces and a God in the universe there is darkness. Mm -hmm. And whatever it was, was trying to take me out Mm -hmm. and I shall not be moved. Mm -hmm. So the yet was, despite whatever hell I'm in, I am not going to allow it
0: to bring me down. Right. And in the meantime, you're going to reclaim your story and your story is going to have a different ending. And I am grateful for that. You know, we talk about our village, right? And the people that we find, our armies, our village, our family, our friends, whatever you want to call them. This was so horrendous and so painful. My children went to the same school that Gabrielle went to, both uh, the preschool and the elementary school. And I tell you, people avoided you because their inability to, to deal with the discomfort of the reality, right? But some people had to stand by you. I know you call them your, your five, you know, there's a lot of couple of different terms that you use around. How important was it to have that village with you? Because I want people to make sure that instead of going inward when things happen that are, just seems like you can never get on the other side, this is a roadmap to how to help get people through. So how Absolutely. important is the village?
1: So a village is incredibly important. And I think one of the most important things to understand, and I had early experiences with sudden loss that we'll probably talk about at some point, that taught me, one, everyone grieves differently. So to be graceful, and and, and everyone takes things from their perspective. There's a great line in The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison where she says, people love the way they are. Mm-hmm. People do everything the way they are. Yeah. Um, if that's selfish, if that's selfless, right? Yes. And so I learned uh, when I lost my mother suddenly in my early 20s that some of the people that you would imagine could be there for you can't. They just can't. Um, and that out of nowhere, st- seemingly strangers or, or mere acquaintances, because of their lives, because of their background, have the fortitude to, to be there in a new way.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. and to not judge those that can't and to embrace those that can
0: and to be open and vulnerable to that love and support wherever it comes from. Right, right. Well, even when you had to go through this uh, courtroom uh, experience, I saw in one of the chapters that you talked about, because I think music is very healing and I believe in restorative arts in general, right? That's sort of what I, that's the, the world I sit in every day. But you talk about the court playlist <laughs> and, and playing a uh, public enemy and whatever that was that was going to help prepare you emotionally and mentally to get through this next chapter.
1: Yes, I, you know what? What I else was on that, that playlist? <laughs> Well, here's the funny thing. There was a lot of stuff that you can't play on the radio unless you play the clean version. And there was Donnie Clerkland And there was James Cleveland. Right. So I had everything from my soul is anchored in the Lord to fight the power. Exactly. And I needed all of it. I got you. I got you. I (laughs) I needed all of
0: it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a playlist that we should probably publish in because that's a playlist that a whole (laughs) lot of us need sometimes. And I still have it as courtroom playlist on my phone. Right. So I'm going to read something. Um, When you were going through and gathering some of Gabrielle's um, personal belongings and just going through, I can't even imagine what that was like. You found a poem in the time capsule that she did in school, which was lovely. And it says, all I really need to know, I learned in kindergarten. All I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. So when we come forward, I would like to talk about that. And what else you you use from that sand pile when we come forward? Hey, if you're just joining us at um, Living in Sweet Spot, I have an amazing author and mother and advocate. She wrote The Other Side of Yet, which is about creating a life of purpose and passion and possibilities regardless of what is thrown at us. This book highlights how we can face our hardships and we can choose to keep fighting and living. Well, I just read a poem that was in Gabrielle's Time Capsule. Tell us about that. So um, my
1: daughter, uh, at her elementary school in kindergarten, you know, one of the things they did was do a time capsule that was to be opened when they graduated in the fifth grade. And this very popular Robert Fulghum poem, um, Everything I Needed to Learn I Learned in Kindergarten, was in there. But also in there... Was all of her reflections as a five year old about what she thought her life would be like, right. and a letter from her father and me to her. Mm-hmm. And so it was a time capsule in so many ways. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, my daughter didn't finish the second grade. Mm-hmm. So as her classmates were matriculating and actually opening those time capsules with fifth graders, I was alone with this piece of history, quite frankly, that I had imagined with my husband opening excited when my daughter was in the fifth grade.
0: You know, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no.
1: I I was just going to say it it was one of those moments. And, you know, I encourage people to be brave in grief. You know, sometimes we want to run away from memories, from pictures. But as painful as it was to open this up, and remember, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to get this experience. What I did get was some laughs from this amazing little 5-year-old girl about what she thought her life would look like. So, you know, there is this joy-pain intersection that we hear about in music that is real that, you know, I, I would challenge people to embrace for the joy side.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I know that was a painful time, but there's something very... um spiritual when I read it about this little beautiful brilliant child already had learned how to love how to give how to forgive right how to how to love life how to be a good friend and so something about it just as sad as it was it was just that other side of yet right I saw that was the moment where I started to understand your title on a whole nother level to be honest. Um, when you look at therapy, we look at um, trauma from bereavement and therapy. I mean, one, a lot of people are so, are so hurt and so destroyed that they don't always reach out. What do you say about therapy? And is there a difference between bereavement therapy and trauma therapy or what, you know, this is really a unique situation, but whether people have children who have been shot or murdered, or lost, or committed suicide. These are steps that we all have to take, and they don't all look the same for everyone. You mentioned that. Absolutely, and I would even
1: broaden it out to there is grief in losing a relationship. There is grief in having a miscarriage. There is grief in realizing you'll never be able to physically have a child. So there's all sorts of things that we grieve in life. Absolutely. And, you know, having dealt with what I would call traditional bereavement grief therapy when I lost my mother um, when she was 50, I knew instinctively and, and frankly based on my work experience that what I was experiencing that required me to go to a crime scene, that required me to identify my child in a medical examiner's office was not the same.
0: Right.
1: This was not five stages of grief. Mm -hmm. And so I proactively, and this is, again, where the village comes in, you know, some of the moms in the community looked and scoured for the right type of therapist, and one of those mothers even suggested someone, um, who she suggested. You know how we can be sometimes, (laughs) like, no, 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 you need to see this person. (laughs) And she was 100% right and introduced me to a therapist who had grown up in the DA's office in Manhattan dealing with crime and and trauma situations and our entire practice was around trauma. Wow. And so, you know, one of the takeaways I think is really being clear about what you need and making sure you're getting it. Mm -hmm. There is not a one size fits all when you deal with loss. Mm -hmm. And so understand what you need. And if you don't understand, find in your village, in your community, people that can help you understand what you need.
0: Mm, That's very important. Um, We talk about signs and wonders on this particular show and format because we want to make sure that we are standing with our community, both when things are difficult, but also to take a pause and say, can you see... Can you see a miracle along the way? Can you it, still live a life? Can you still um, get on the other side? Other side doesn't mean to uh, lose sight. It doesn't mean that. It just means how do I survive? And I hear you talk about things like going to the beach where you feel uh, closest to Gabrielle or um, or this amazing little girl. We're going to talk about that little child that's sitting on the, uh, on the shelf in your house on a daily basis. I saw her on Good Morning America this week. <laughs> so we're going to get back to uh, Miss Barbara. But can you talk about a few signs and wonders um, maybe that have shown up in your life? Absolutely. You know, I,
1: I heard this, and I, I wish I could attribute it to the right person, but I think it's so beautiful and makes so much sense that when someone is pregnant, right inside the belly is this, is this forming person who does not know how close they are to the world, who feels like they are caught in this darkness and does not know how close they really are to, to life, to love, to the outside. And the comparison was made to our loved ones who have gone on, that they're so close. Um, so, you know, I was blessed to, from day one, have this loud, beautiful cardinal that clearly was everything my child was show up and show up repeatedly, wherever I was, to the point where times I was like, y'all, you saw that, right? I'm not crazy. I like a real cardinal. Uh, of what color? A What's the cardinal? Real bright red cardinal. <laughs> right. That the day after I lost her and went outside to cry, to cry and read Job and to start writing from a journal standpoint, showed up. And showed up every day. And when I moved, showed up. And... And so we could do a whole hour about cardinals and how they've shown up. But, you know, I think everyone's signs are
0: different, but if you're open to the universe, if you're open to what God could offer you, those signs of affirmation are there. Absolutely. I mean, I have shared with many of my friends and maybe even on this broadcast about um, I have this butterfly thing. And, you know, as my parents were transitioning and different loved ones, uh, it always comes, just always shows up, even if it's on the side of a a bus, (laughs) this huge butterfly will just go in those very moments. And I have often said to people, if you just open up your mind and know that the universe conspires to, to help you heal through this process. Right, universe, God, whatever you call it, but that's right. You are not in this alone, and this is part that's of right. the the healing process. Okay, um, who is Barbara? <laughs> so
1: Barbara, who I fear will need an agent. You know, you're in LA. You know how all that works. Barbara is Gabrielle's Dolly. So Barbara was given to Gabrielle by Santa Claus when she was four months old for her first Christmas. You know, those of us who are of a certain age remember when dolls were one extreme or the other. So I didn't grow up with dolls that looked like me. Right. Um, and Barbara's a little rag doll that looks like my little girl. Gabrielle took Barbara everywhere. And because I was a high-maintenance TV producer... I had two or three Barbaras. If one got lost, if one needed to be in the wash, you know, we do a sort of look over there behind the back and then have Barbara.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, you know, we're gonna. I want to when we come forward. I want to talk a little bit more about sort of how important that is for people to have a tangible item to even hold on to, and that it really could help. Absolutely. When we come forward. Well, if you're just joining us, I have a media exec, Michelle DeHord, who is sharing with us how to survive and thrive post a very dark time in her life. So we're, right now we are talking about these tangible things. We're talking about this baby doll named Barbara, who needs an agent, and who uh, almost stole the show on <laughs> Good Morning America. But, but having something tangible is important. Do you have any other advice or suggestions about how people can um, have something real and concrete? No, you know, I think it looks different for everyone.
1: For me, because, frankly, my daughter's bedroom became a crime scene. Mm. And so I could not take from her room all of her things mm. because this doll that was her security blanket, I had multiples of. I had one where I was staying at the time. There was one with her uh, when she was spending the night with her dad. So Barbara is is this doll is this who's also a nudist just for kicks <laughs> for y'all that want a little chuckle during the during some levity. I don't know when my baby decided this doll was going to be a nudist. <laughs> I think it was upset me, but I have carried this little rag doll with me because it is a physical reminder of my baby, of her love, of what she loved. This doll went everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so because I lost so much, and I think that's the bigger message, in the times of your life where things are burned to the ashes, mm-hmm. There is always something you can still pick up and take with you Mm, mm -hmm. and be brave enough to look in the wreckage to find that thing, even Mm -hmm. if it's hot at first,
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to
1: pick up and take with you. It will be a reminder. It will be a um, motivation. And I I just challenge you to do that.
0: Yes, ma'am. That sounds like great advice. Uh, I know in the book you... You talk about SPIRIT and this acronym for some very important tools. Can you share that with us? Absolutely. And again, you know, I think this applies to all of us that
1: are in transition and pivot points in our lives. So for me, I break down SPIRIT by letter. So S for me is SURVIVE. SURVIVE looks different every day. SURVIVE today was I was able to get on the radio with a dear friend and talk to people And felt okay doing it. Mm -hmm. Survive other days may mean I don't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. And we need to be okay with both. We need to give ourselves the grace. You know, change and grief are not linear. There are, you know, it's kind of ebbs and flows. So surviving means whatever it means for you that day and give yourself that grace. The second Mm -hmm. is praise. And for those of us that perhaps aren't as steeped in religion, I would say gratitude. Mm Mm-hmm. There's always something to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. There's always something to praise. And in these darkest of dark moments, the way you find those pinpricks of light is to look for something to say, yes, but thank you for. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I looked for those even in the darkest moments. I had my baby girl for almost eight years. Thank you for that. Impact for the eye. And impact for me is about helping others. I grew up in a home where that was important. My parents had started a foundation called the Horde Foundation. I've started a foundation in Gabrielle's name. But beyond a foundation, if it's cooking dinner for a neighbor, when you are in a dark place, one of the best ways to get outside of yourself is to try to think of other people and have that perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. R for reflect. You've been through stuff before. Remember it. Remember the stuff you got then and use it. I for imagine, imagine that you can actually have a future. Imagine there's something after that yet. And then P is for testify, which we in the black community know all about. (laughs) And you would be surprised. We all have a testimony. How
0: can your test and testimony help other people? Oh, I am so excited to know that this transcends no matter what you've gone through. And so that's what's so great about the book. It, it, yes, it is a, a story that not too many moms will ever experience, but anyone could read this book and gather something from it. Any relationship, any change, any gender, any age, and um, I'm going to definitely put this on my list of books to buy from many others. So when we come forward, I have a couple more questions for you.
1: I'm so grateful to be here with you, Angelique. Um, this has been an amazing hour. My name is Michelle Behor. I'm the author of the book The Other Side of Yet. And we were talking about spirit and how to move forward with resilience. And one of the things I would encourage everyone to do as you get to that other side of Yet is to embrace joy. It is okay to find joy again. It does not deny pain. It does not deny trauma. Those, If you have been in a position where you've lost loved ones, they are rooting for you. I know my little girl is saying, Mommy, keep going, keep going, and that my whole life can't be a memorial. So I think there is that intersection where you can choose joy despite what you have been through. And it is it is a brave
0: choice, and I would challenge your listeners to choose it. Absolutely. And I'm loving this whole idea of pivoting away from what was happening, what you thought your life was going to be like before, to what yet is all about hope, right? So while we're on that, I'm actually going to do um, just a little word association with you because I wish I had another hour, but since I don't, I want to know a little bit more, and I think this will give um, our listeners just a little bit more um Understanding of who you are. So, one word, okay? Hope, light, trust.
1: Ooh, that's a that's a deep one. Trust. I would say um, loved ones. Okay, that's two. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> vulnerability,
0: openness. Resilience, steel
1: in your veins,
0: mm. Toolbox,
1: Survival Kit, Love, Possible,
0: Miracle, Probable, Joy, Accessible. How about Gabrielle's Wings? The
1: Legacy of My Daughter. uh, It is a nonprofit. I'm way going over the words now, but (laughs) it's a nonprofit organization that we have started. uh, And the whole entire purpose is to ensure that my baby's legacy is much bigger than what happened to her.
0: I love it. And then how do people participate with Gabrielle's Wings? I know there's a park, there's a corner at the school, there's a playground, there's all kinds of wonderful things you're doing to affect children that are underprivileged and and, and at risk in different areas.
1: Well, for those of us that do everything we can to make sure, whether it's two jobs for private school, we do what we can to try to make sure our babies can have more. And I was doing that. And we know there are a lot of our children in underserved communities that don't have those opportunities. So Gabrielle's Wings seeks to find those opportunities. So mm-hmm. we're on three continents. We've touched more than 10,000 children. And if you go to Gabrielle's Wings
0: you will be able to find that a lot. And we're going to do that. And you got to get this book, y'all. You got to get the book. And you know who's coming up next, right? We've got Lyric Lounge. And they are coming up with that amazing trio, Tasha, Teal, and Ural. This is Living in the Sweet Spot. And remember their everyday miracles in the sweet spot. I can smile.